the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Six minutes after six. It's a Thursday. Typically on Thursdays, first hour, J.R. Davis from the Gilmore Group, Seth Mays from the Arkansas GOP. Today a little bit different. Uh, Seth will be with us, but uh, J.R. right now is driving on his way to MENA. And so uh, he's getting into uh, very sketchy cell phone service. So he will not join us this morning. He called me about... 535 to let me know and so uh, it's just going to be seth and i this morning but that's okay yeah seth and i uh, we both love politics so uh, he seth watched all of the dnc last night i watched a little bit of it I, I tuned in to catch a little bit of obama i tuned in and caught a little bit of harris and then i tuned in and watched about four minutes of hillary and i knew it was going to all be about her and so i didn't want to watch it at all so uh last night was kind of interesting here the third night of this convention uh seth and do you know what the Democrats stand for yet? <laughs> Good morning, Dave. The, the short answer is no. I tell you, let's be fair here. It's, it's, there are some untenable situations. And trying to plan a convention where the ultimate overarching goal should be to connect with people. But to do that in YouTube-style you know, videos that are, that are pre-recorded, it's just hard to connect with people. So it's a hard goal. But even with that stipulated, the Democrats haven't met that as of yet. And as it pertains to policy, we have heard zero policy proposals about what a Joe Biden administration would do. You know, for instance, in 2016, you can say what you want about Donald Trump, but we had several policies. We had a literal list of the names of judges for the Supreme Court. We had talked about removing ourselves from the JCPOA the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, commonly known as the Iran deal. We had talked about withdrawal from the uh, Paris Climate Accord. We had talked about any number of substantive policy proposals that were as specific as any candidate I've seen. But if you've watched the six hours of primetime coverage over these first three nights for the Democrats, I can't tell you one concrete thing. I can tell you a bunch of abstracts, a bunch of rainbows and sunshines, but I can't tell you pencil meets paper any policy proposal of a Joe Biden administration. You know, all, you had to go all the way into about a third of the way of the second hour before the Democrats even brought up the, uh, the subject of the economy, which shows mm-hmm. you that that's not 
the number one thing on 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 their uh, lists to uh, be checked. I'm telling you what's been what they've been trying to check is this. Trump is uh, hateful. Trump is an ogre. Trump is uh, uh, just a man who has no empathy. Joe Biden. You'd love to have him as your grandfather. He's empathetic. Uh, he feels your pain. And let me tell you what: uh, feeling pain and being to alle- being able to alleviate pain is two different things, and the American voter yep. knows it. Yep, you're right. And and one one very interesting point. And you know, I've got sort of an elephant memory on these these particulars in campaign history last year at the first democratic debate it was in miami it was two nights it was the same month that the president and vice president relaunched their campaign in orlando that second night was when joe biden and bernie sanders and of course kamala harris with her attack on busing on biden those three were in that second night the last question was one of those where they go around to everybody on the stage and let him answer. And it was, if your administration only had one topic to focus on, what would be your policy to focus on? And two things were very revealing. Bernie Sanders, of course, rejected the question and said that it's ridiculous, you can do it all, that the environment's important and and increasing taxes are important, that the Green New Deal, Medicare for All, he, he rejected the notion that you could only focus on one thing. I mean, in 2016, Bernie Sanders was asked a question at a CBS debate about terrorism. He ended talking about the environment. So he yep. can he can he can throw in the kitchen sink. And then it got to Biden and his answer was as revealing. Joe Biden said that the number one goal of a Joe Biden administration is to defeat Donald Trump. Yep. Which that, of that's course all is counterintuitive because if elected that would have already happened. Yeah. And, and so once again, it's about personality. There, it's definitely not about substance. Yeah, that, and that's what they're what they're doing right now. Uh, Kurtz had an interesting article today in uh, Fox News. Uh, he he went really easy on the Dems last night. You got to read it, Seth. You're, you'll be reading it and saying, "Is he a closet Democrat?" But as you as you read it. He gets to a point, and here's what he says. Let me let me read this to you because he's exactly uh, right. He says that in a convention, early or otherwise, the early speeches are like summer storms that quickly fade from the media radar. Whether Michelle Obama gave a stirring speech or Bill Clinton gave a mediocre one is quickly forgotten. Even Jill Biden's widely praised appearance connecting their personal tragedies to the country's problems is ultimately a sidebar story. Conventions leave lingering impressions, of course, and the main message of the Democratic show is that Biden is a good, decent man liked by people ranging from Bernie Sanders to even John McCain. The goal seems less to rebut Trump's charge that Biden is a tool of radical socialists than to cast him as a warm and reassuring figure. So what that says is that if Joe Biden does not hit a home run tonight with his acceptance speech, and I mean hit it into the stratosphere, his his candidacy is in deep, deep doo-doo. Yeah, Kurtz is right there. Joe Biden has had many 
of important speeches in his life, no doubt. He's a he has served two terms as, as vice president, so he knows what it's like uh, to give a primetime speech. But anytime he has done such a thing at Democratic conventions in the past, he has at least had some applause lines where he can take five to ten seconds to regather himself and refocus on the speech on the prompter. And perhaps they look for something with a crowd tonight, because I tell you, that was certainly a factor that was missing from Senator Harris's speech last night, which I think was overall flat. And that's one of those things where if it's a bad speech, that is what it is. If it's great, that's what you're going for. But in the middle flat just really doesn't doesn't appeal to anybody. But it is so imperative tonight that Joe Biden makes the definitive case. Here is why you should vote for me. Uh, like you said, if, if you just did a word bubble of the most mentioned word at the DNC so far, you might think that Donald Trump would be their nominee. He's been mentioned so many times. But Joe Biden has to tell us what Joe Biden is for. He says he's a transitional candidate. Well, transition to what? He has to lay this out to the voters and tell us who he is. But I think you and I know the truth that he would be hesitant to do so, to lay out what that plan is. He certainly looks to be a vessel of the left, the Biden-Bernie, you know, coalition group that wrote parts of the platform. He seems to be willing to set back and let Kamala Harris and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren decide what the policies of his administration are. So tonight is imperative that we hear what what is his vision? What are his goals? Who is Joe Biden? We know he's an empathetic person. He's had a lot of personal tragedy. We understand that. But as you pointed out, Dave, that doesn't mean that you can cure other people's ailments that they are going through in their life. So it's incredibly important that we hear from Joe Biden tonight on who he is, because that hasn't been done up to this point. I agree. Elizabeth just sent me a text and she is right on with this, uh, Seth. She said, do they really need to convince their base that they hate Trump? Evidently, you would think that they would <laughs> with how much they've laid into that. Yeah. I mean, what? how much more of that can you say? You know, it's it's really it's really amazing that the vitriol can continue. The bile that they have for uh, this president can continue to be spewed the way it is. It's, it's as if you went to see The Exorcist and the only scene that you see is the pea soup scene. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you've seen The Exorcist, everybody knows what I'm talking about. That's when Reagan, yep. who's possessed by the devil at that point, just, uh, you know, vomits this pea, pea soup on the priest. Well, that's it's a very dramatic piece of the movie, but it's not the movie. Yeah, that's the key. They're they're missing the forest for the trees. Is that is that a better way of putting it, Seth? It is. We, there was a huge disconnect. I, I watched ABC for a little bit of afterward commentary because I think Chris Christie, their Republican contributor on the panel, just has some of the most interesting takeaways. And one of his was to former President Obama's speech. Yes, by any oratory standpoint, it was a fine speech constructed. Obama just has a cadence and, and the way that he speaks uh, is is just one of the best we've seen in politics. But he had a, a particular line where he sort of alluded to the only way the Republicans are going to beat us again is if they cheat. And it just showed a huge disconnect in that much 
uh, of Donald Trump's electorate, particularly in the Midwest, was a repudiation of Obama-era policies. And they just don't get that. It's a huge disconnect. And I think it really shows contempt for voters. If you're not willing to have the open mind to say that, hey, some of those people that voted for Barack Obama as opposed to Mitt Romney, but then uh, flipped and voted for Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton, if you're not willing to be open-minded, that that is a reasonable policy position and a plausible uh, position for folks to take, it just shows your utter contempt for, for those types of folks. Um, and that's, uh, again, a, a very large topic we've seen is contempt towards the president and thereby fiat would be the people that put him in office. Well, you know, there's been a lot of great orators in history, but not many of them really have added to great policies of the world. In fact, many of them added to the worst policies of the Mm, world. mm -hmm. But just because you're a great speaker doesn't mean that what you stand for is where you want to go. Kind of interesting. Let me finish uh, this segment by quoting from David, uh, uh, from an article, pardon me, by Michael Goodwin, and he quotes David Broder. He says, in December of 2007, Washington Post columnist David Broder began a column this way, quote, Barack Obama has become a one-trick pony, but what a trick it is, unquote. We saw that one trick for eight years, and it got really, really, really old. And it led this country into policies that we're still trying to unravel our country from. Then Broder went on to summarize the rookie senator's marvelous stump speech in the presidential race. He called the performance, quote, a thing of beauty, a 40-minute oration delivered without notes that is powering his gains in the Iowa caucuses on January 3rd in the first primary in New Hampshire five days later. Hillary Clinton has nothing to match it, unquote. Great with words. But I think after eight years, we all can agree uh, he was inept as a president. And I know mm-hmm. that's that's hard for Democrats to, to swallow, but it's true. It's very true. You got he he and the Democrats changed the health care as we know it and destroyed uh, a good portion of health care as we know it in this country. Uh, he took us off the world stage as a power. Uh, in uh, uh, other parts of the world, and we're still fighting to get that back. And uh, and there's other things that we can go into uh, as far as uh, looking at, uh, you know, capitalism and things of that nature. The bottom line, I believe, uh, you know, that Obama, he's, he's the guy that you always said talks a good game, but he can't walk the walk. That's the way I've always yeah. seen that president. I'm not saying Obama's a bad guy. I'm not saying that that he doesn't have uh, some real talents. He does, and he plays to those talents. I'm just saying that as far as a president that can take this country where it needed to be, he could not do it. Remember, he stayed out of the whole debate about uh, health care reform for months, for months. Mm-hmm. He let his party sit out there and and do all the heavy lifting. 
and the heavy lifting they did was just abysmal. All right, let's get a break, Seth. We'll come back and talk more here on the Dave Ellswick Show. 621 on a Thursday. Seth May is with me. He's with the Arkansas GOP. He's going to be with me this first hour. Hey, i got a great guest you're not going to want to miss in the second hour. Paris Denard from the RNC is going to be with us. I love the guy. And we're going to talk about him. I want to talk to him about Kimberly Klasick. And you'll hear her next week at the Republican convention. She has she, like Mia Love, has set the Republican uh, con- uh, convention on fire. She's go- I can't wait to hear her. That- that's one speech that I'll listen from the first word to the last word. 622 on a Thursday, a break here on the Dave Ellswick Show. You know, like a bad uh, car wreck, you just can't take your eyes off of uh, Hillary Clinton. You just can't because you know... She's going to do, say something, or you're going to see something that almost revolts you. I mean, seriously, that's kind of the reason. People go to races a lot of times. Uh, we call them kind of the deadheads, like at Indianapolis and things. They go to see the wrecks. That's all they go to see at the race. They don't go to see the, you know, the, the plans that the different teams have to be able to, to win the race. They don't go to see the, the amount of... Uh, athletic uh, professionalism that it really does take to come through that number one shoot in turn one and come out of it in one piece. I mean, <laughs> you know, after you've been coming from uh, turn four and, you, and you're going over 210 miles an hour into that shoot, uh, they don't go to see any of that. They go to see, well, who's going to hit who and who's going to hit the wall first. And that's kind of what people do now when Hillary Clinton appears. They go to see what the wreck's going to look like. And she didn't, uh, I don't think that she really uh, caused anybody any uh, any pain about that last night because her speech was a wreck. I mean, here's here's what her whole speech was about. Don't do to me, don't do to Joe Biden what you did to me four years ago. That's what it was. You screwed me over four years ago. Don't screw uh, Joe Biden. Is that what you got out of it? Maybe, maybe I see it a little too simplistic, but it seems like to me that's what she said. You know, I, I said in the last segment that there was a glaring uh, logical flaw in what former President Obama was saying, just a, a complete misunderstanding of why people voted in 2016. And if that was a logical flaw, we'd have to find a strong enough word for that times 10 to describe uh, Hillary Clinton's speech last night. You want to talk about somebody that really misses the point as to what happened in 2016. She's clearly not over the loss. There were multiple lines in that speech where she just, you know, you you could tell she was trying to poke the president and wanted to talk about the lead in the popular vote, which, of course, is not how we elect a president. And if it was, then you can be assured that the present president would have campaigned differently. But like you said, somebody that completely missed the mark uh, last night, and that was it. It was a little bitter, and <laughs> a lot bitter, as we were saying over the break. Uh, clearly, saying, "Don't," as you said, "Don't do to me what you did, or don't do to Joe Biden what you did to me four years ago." And she's clearly not over that. Somebody asked me last week when it was announced that both Clintons would be speaking, "Is it that hard 
for the Democratic Party to get over the Clintons. Three decades of yes. relevance at the top of Democratic politics. And finally, here they are, Dave, last night. The goal is to introduce a junior senator from California, whom people that pay attention to politics know, but whom average people <laughs> that have lives and don't watch all of this stuff 24-7 probably don't know. They may have heard her name, but as we know, you have to hear a candidate several times before you remember them. That is the goal last night. It, it, it is a torch-passing night. It's why Barack Obama, who was originally listed as the keynote, asked the DNC to go before Kamala Harris, that he might symbolically, in speaking before her, pass the torch. And that should have been Hillary's message as the most recent nominee was, well, here's to the next generation of women. But it's clear she just can't do it. She just can't get to that point. As you said, hear her speech four years after being the nominee was still about how the Democratic voters treated her four years ago. Nothing about the year 2020. All right. When we come back after the news, which is next, Seth, uh, I've got a line from her speech that I want to read uh, to everybody and then just say think for a moment. Think for a moment. All that's coming up. Don't go away. You're going to want to hear this on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you. Seth May is with me, Arkansas GOP. We're talking about the DNC last night. Uh, That is, of course, the number one topic uh, today in the news is what did the DNC have to say and how did they say it? And uh, Hillary Clinton spoke last uh, kind of last night, uh, at least in the big speeches, which is that in and of itself is kind of different. But uh, let me take a, a piece of what's what she said and the dnc has set themselves up to be a pinata i do believe during the rest of uh uh this uh, uh election they're going to be a pinata uh they're setting themselves up for a beating especially if what hillary said last night is what they're going to say during during the time that they run Uh, their convention up to November 3rd. Let me give it to you. Uh, She pointed to Trump's 2016 uh, pitch to voters. What do you have to lose? Now, she said that, and then here's what she said. I'm going to quote her. Now we know our health, our jobs, even our lives, our leadership in the world, and, yes, our post office. That's what the former Secretary of State said. Now, remember, she was secretary of state during uh, the time that Obama was office of, in office. Remember, she's the one who reset the Russian policy. Remember that? She's the one who, who did all of that. Let's talk about our leadership in the world. Let's talk about when Obama left office. Let's talk about ISIS. Let's talk about sleeper cells in the United States. Let's talk about Iran and a terrible Iranian deal that would be uh, now coming to an end if the president hadn't removed us from it, and uh, a country that is the biggest provocateur as far as terrorism in the world. What has this president done? He's faced Iran face-to-face. He took out their number one terrorist. Uh, He's uh, attacked Hezbollah. He's attacked Hamas. 
He's gone. Where's ISIS now? Remember how ISIS was running all over the Middle East and how they were putting people in cages? Do you remember how they were setting people on fire? Do you remember how they were putting them in cages and and uh, putting them uh, in water and drowning the people? Do you remember the people that were beheaded live on the Internet? Do you remember any of that? Do you remember any of that? That was happening during the Obama administration. And when this uh, president took over, it stopped now. It's not going on anymore. ISIS is a shell of itself hiding out in Syria, and and Bashar al-Assad is protecting them. That's where ISIS is at. What Mm. about Iran? Iran's not doing anything in the world. They're sitting on the sidelines right now, scratching their head and with their thumb up their butt, going, what do we do about this uh, United Arab Arabs? Uh, uh, peace with the uh, uh, with the Israelis and uh, Donald Trump made a statement yesterday that I'm going to be watching for that he's talking about other Arab countries that are coming into it. They're losing their power in the Middle East. So what has this president done on the world leadership stage? I'd say he's done a lot. Now she says, yep. "How about it?" She says, "Our health." Is she blaming Donald Trump for COVID-19 as though uh, one day he called up uh, uh, some military, uh, uh, I don't know, laboratory and said, hey, release this virus into the United States? That's not how it got here. It got here because the Chinese released it into the world. The Chinese tried to bring us to our knees Uh, and our economy to our knees. It was the Democrats and it was the Republicans together who turned our our, uh, economy off. It was the best economy in the world at the time that they turned it off. It was the best in history when they turned it off. And now it's starting to come back and the Democrats are doing everything to try to, you know, rush us to the uh, polls so that people will vote against Trump because the economy sucks. Give me a break. Open your eyes. See what the other party's done. They've done nothing. Zero. Absolutely zero. So what do you think, Seth? Should I go out on the stump for Trump? <laughs> I tell you, if, if you ever uh, listen to uh, who's the guy that does the financial advice, Dave Ramsey, he yeah. has his Dave rants that he uploads to YouTube. That was your rendition of your Dave rant. Let me tell you, you could hit the stump today. Don't wait for tomorrow. So, you know, next week we will probably see from CNN and, as the president says, MSDNC, some people, and I'm using air quotes here, fact-checking the president's speech in live time. They'll play it on the Chiron at the text at the bottom of the screen. That, you know, the president just said this, fact-check this, and then they'll editorialize. Well, the first night Michelle Obama talked about kids in cages. I don't know if anybody told her that it was under her husband's administration that those det- uh, detention camps were built by and large. It could have used a fact check there. I'm still holding my breath from the media that nobody picked up on that. They just let her uh, say it without any any correction. And then, as you said, Hillary Clinton last night moved past insinuation, just saying, yeah, we have this virus because of Donald Trump. I guess yeah. he had the secret vial in his office, and he has released it uh, into the world. 
there's one thing we can't let go, which is that Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi said they would not have done the China ban. We remember Nancy Pelosi in Chinatown encouraging people to come out and be in crowds and be in gatherings. There's there's nothing wrong with that. Joe Biden said that it was xenophobic, the China ban. Well, if Hillary Clinton's accusation is that the president has cost lives, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Birx have said multiple times the ban on China and the later ban on the European Union, specifically the UK, which came later, those saved lives. Joe Biden told you he would not have done those. Okay, that's very straightforward. That's very simple. It's just astonishing that, uh, well, not entirely astonishing, that the mainstream media is not picking up. Here you have a former presidential candidate saying her then opponent, now the president, is killing Americans while the candidate she supports, Joe Biden, literally said he wouldn't have taken the steps that had been taken to this point. Of course, he's now, he flip-flopped twice. He held it shouldn't have happened. Then he held that, well, uh, okay, maybe it, it would have been an okay thing. And now his current position is the president should have gone farther. He should have banned them sooner. But it was xenophobic in January when he did it. Just astonishing, the, the no fact-checking here. Just blatant lies from yeah. the DNC. Yeah, I agree. And then she finished it up by saying, even our lives. Hey, get let, let me talk about my life. Uh, my life uh, before the pandemic, before they shut the economy down, was going pretty doggone good. I mean, I'll be honest. The station was going good. My show was going good. Uh, I was doing well. My family was, was doing well. Uh, the people I hung out with were doing well. And then they, sh- they shut the economy down. And now nobody's doing really well. We're, going, we're getting by, but we're, we're not where we, where we need to be. Now, who is going to bring us back, bring this all back uh, as strong as it was before? Is it going to be the man who made it as strong as it was before? Or is it going to be some guy uh, that says, make me president and I'll create those millions of jobs when, in fact, they were having all kinds of problems uh, in the administration that he served in creating all those kinds of jobs? You got to call it for what it is, folks. Obama didn't have an economy like this. Nobody has ever had an economy like this. And the reason we do have an economy like this, this president understands about regulation. This president understands about turning loose uh, the uh, entrepreneurial spirit of this country. He's done so and people were doing well. Let's remember before the virus, we had the lowest black unemployment ever. We had the lowest Hispanic unemployment ever. Ever. We had the most women working in the economy ever. We had, and I can go on and on. Look, I can go on and on. You want to go back to that or you want to go to to Joe Biden, who I sometimes wonder even remembers what his name is when he walks out on stage? I just, I just, you know, he, he could walk out on stage tonight and accept a different office. You know, you just never quite know what you're going to get from Joe Biden. I, I'm just telling you, if he says, you know, I'm, I'm really happy that I'm running for the Senate of the United States. If he says something, something like that, right. you, might, you might as well just, you know, 
Democrats can start folding up all the suitcases and the boxes <laughs> and, and closing them up with tape and go ahead and put away the confetti for 2024. In fact, in a sense, Seth, do you get the feeling that they're running, they're kind of walking this razor's edge of, hey, yeah, we're, we're running a 2020 campaign, but we're really looking out to 2024 and we're not seeing really good things out there either. Right. They're not really even walking the edge. I mean, they, they have dove headfirst, okay, into this pit that, that this is a transition. The only goal, having, as we've established, no policy uh, so far in this convention, they're diving headlong into let's put a W on the board in November, let's win this, and then we can hash out what we stand for. Uh, are we the Biden wing? Are we the Bernie wing? Is there a difference anymore? Uh, they're going to hash that out four years from now. Okay, and then lastly, before we go into our break here, because I know Heidi is back at the station gesturing at the um, speakers that she's listening to me on saying, Dave, take a break. Uh, I'm going to take a break right now, Heidi. Which do you want? Do you want a man in the office of the presidency who doesn't say the right thing all the time, uh, at the right time, but gets the policies right, that gives us the economy we've got, gives us our leadership back in the world. But he just, you know, he's like that teacher you had in school that taught you a lot, but damn, you couldn't stand the person. And then, or do you want a person who speaks nice to you, pats you on the head, and, uh, you know, starts policies up that don't work. Which do you want? Do you want the country to work or do you not want the country to work? Is it nice words that you look for or can it be, you know, you know, strong disciplinarian words that you get sometimes uh, Mm. from the White House? You know, you're going to have to think about that over the next 70 something days before you you pull the lever in the voting booths. I mean, look, I, I don't even have to think about it. I know who I'm, I'm voting for, and I'll be voting for Donald Trump for re-election. Twelve minutes to seven. We've got to get a break in. Seth Mays is my special guest. He is with the Arkansas GOP, and uh, we'll be back to finish up our discussion about the DNC when we return. All right, seven minutes till uh, seven o'clock here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We'll talk a little local politics with you just for a moment. I had on uh, Congressman Hill yesterday, talked to him about the... Uh, uh, federal tax that uh, the president is trying to get off that seven and a half percent out of your paycheck where you get seven and a half percent more just because uh, they're not going to take money out for Social Security, uh, Medicare and, uh, and, and Medicaid. And uh, Joyce Elliott and the Democratic Party have jumped all over that and have lied about it. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I like Joyce Elliott. I usually try really hard to get her to join me on my radio show during the uh, uh, the time that the uh, uh, legislature is, is, is meeting every two years because she's articulate, uh, she's smart, uh, she typically has some uh, pieces of legislation that make sense. But this one... <laughs> this one uh, makes me lose respect for her, and I'm I'm 
you know, when you look at the money she's raised, most of it is not coming locally. It's coming from out of state and it's coming from from PACs uh, on the Democrat side. It says to me that she's really uh, cowing to the uh, Democratic Party. And this is a prime example where she's saying that uh, French Hill's trying to destroy Social Security, Medicare and, uh, and, and Medicaid. Understand this. Even if you get that seven and a half percent, the programs for uh, uh, Medicaid, Medicare and for uh, Social Security will be fully funded. It's not like they're pulling the funding in Washington, D.C. for those programs. That's in the legislation. That's in the president's uh, uh, executive order. Nothing's going to happen to those programs. It's just like uh, if they decide to do X, Y, or Z with, uh, you know, phase three or phase four for the uh, COVID-19, that it's not going to shut down all the other programs going on by the federal government right now. It's, it's not a zero-sum game. So keep that in mind, that that's nothing but a lie, and the people who are perpetuating that lie know that it's a lie. And I, I called, yes. I'm calling Joyce Elliott out on this. She knows that's, that's misinformation. And better yet, that's a big word for saying you're lying. Right. <laughs> well, in part of that, Dave, is if you look at, at Joyce Elliott, she's nearing uh, the end of her service to the Arkansas General Assembly. She's already run for Congress once. So this is sort of the, you know, you never rule anything out. Of course, she could run in the future. And I don't expect that she is going to stay out of politics as as long as she can help it. But these sort of uh, Hail Mary, uh, as you said, misinformation, just a big word for lie. Uh, they're throwing out just shows you that they can't uh, combat Congressman Hill on any substantive policy. The French Hill team released their first TV ad. You could go to their YouTube page if you haven't seen it yet, talking about uh, how Congressman Hill has worked to secure money through the CARES Act for Arkansas to help us through this global uh, pandemic. And that's real results. And and we obviously know French's service on the Financial Services Committee and his help in, in passing the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. These are real substantive results. I don't know that anybody could point to the, you know, the signature piece of Joyce Elliott legislation from the General Assembly that helped Arkansas families uh, either statewide or here locally in Pulaski County, where it uh, covers the area that she represents. So it is, it is lies. It is misinformation. Uh, because she doesn't have that record to run on. And like you said, and she knows it. You know, sometimes people will, will spin a particular topic just because that's where their viewpoint is and they've got tunnel vision. They can't see anything on the periphery. And that those are the facts as, as they know them. Well, Joyce Elliott knows better. And she knows, as you pointed out, that that isn't the truth in this situation. That's but right. One she thing knows what's true and know. what's false. Right. Go and ahead. One thing we affirmatively know is that French Hill uh, – is an excellent representation for the second congressional district. Yeah, I agree. He deserves re-election. I, I'm, I'll be the first one to stand behind him and, and tell tell you that. Uh, does he does he do things the way I would do them? No, I'm a bull in the china shop kind of guy. All right, that's what you would get. That's what you get. I break a lot of things. I'm I'm not 
Trump. I, I do believe that I have empathy for people and stuff like that. I think Trump does, too. He just doesn't show it out front a lot of times. But the bottom line is, yeah, you put you put you put me uh, in a in a, uh, an elective office and I'm going to break a lot of stuff and people will love me or hate me. That's just the way it would go. But I can honestly say I would never go out and 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 uh, be just completely uh, just be a liar about something. You know, that's what disingenuous means. I mean, let's be honest here. You know, they try to use words that that make the pad that they're lying. Well, Joyce is a better person than that. She's a better individual. At least I think that. And uh, she needs to stop. That's just the way I feel about it. Hey, Seth, thanks for joining us today. It was a great show. Yep. Thank you. I'll talk to you again next Thursday. Have a great day. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't go anywhere. I'm coming back right after the news. Get back to it here on the Dave Elser Show. Rand Paul was at his best yesterday uh, in a, an interview that he did uh, with Fox News. Uh, nobody else wants to have him on because he speaks too much truth. Uh, he was talking about the post office. And I just want to talk about I'm, I'm just going to mention the very first thing that he said in this interview. And I want you to listen carefully to it. As a taxpayer, if you pay taxes, I want you to listen closely to this. Senator Rand Paul blasted the notion of giving the U.S. Postal Service any more taxpayer money during an interview on Fox on Wednesday. He said it has lost approximately $78 billion from 2007 through 2019 in 12 years it's lost uh, it's lost 78 billion dollars quote well anybody who wants to give money to the post office you might as well just put it in a big pile on your front lawn and burn it there's no way to give any money to the post office to make the post office redeemable You cannot fix the post office unless you fix their labor problem. Eighty percent of the cost of the post office is labor. About 50 percent of UPS's costs are labor. And FedEx, 38 percent. You can't run a business with 80 percent of your costs being labor when your competitors have much lower costs. So really, in the end, just giving money to the post office is giving money to an operation that lost $8 billion last year. So giving them $10 billion, it'd be gone within a year's time. It's a foolhardy notion. And when they call it skinny 
to me, it's just Democrat light. And I didn't run for office to be just slightly less bad than the Democrats. The only way I'd give the post office any money would to be have a hiring freeze and they would have to gradually lower their employment significantly. There's a third less overall mail going through the post office in the last 14 years. They need to have a third less employees. A few years ago, they started through attrition, mainly by letting the older employees not be replaced. They were getting smaller, but they actually started growing again in the last year or two. If you look at the cost, even though the numbers of employees haven't gone up, the costs are still going through the roof because of the pension being so expensive. So really, without a mandate to make it a smaller organization, you shouldn't give them any money. So it's sort of like when you do rescue a company that's failing, they have to have reforms. Nobody comes in with venture capital and just says, hey, Here's a bucket of money. Keep losing money. They tell you you have to change. So it's a real mistake to give the post office money unless they significantly reform their ways. That should be it. I'm just saying that should be an ad on TV. Should be an ad on TV. That sums it up so perfectly. Understand Billy is in Greenbrier, wants to talk to us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hi, Dave. Good morning. Morning. Man, I used to haul mail. Um, it, was, I, it was my understanding that, uh, and this this is not why I called, but <laughs> hearing the topic is kind of interesting. But um, the uh, post office actually operates as a uh, private business, even though they are a, a federal, you know, program, a, a, a company, if you want to call it that. They they operate as yes. if they are on their own. Um, most of the profits that they make are actually taken from them by the federal government. Um, for various reasons, and they they pretty well have to operate on what's left over. So you might you might look into that. I don't know the ins and outs of it all, but uh, that's that's the way it was explained to me internally. Um, now, but the main well, reason main reason lo- they have lost they have lost almost eighty billion dollars in twelve twelve years. It's incredible. Well, I wonder if those losses are are chalked up due to a lot of that being taken from them by the government. If that's what they're calling loss, I, that's what I'm driving at. I don't know the answer to that question, but. Um, Anyway, I hope this doesn't sound silly, but um, as you know, um, we, we're losing our liberties due to this mask mandate. Oh, yeah. Um, and and uh, COVID-19 and the anti, all this stuff happening all at the same time. I, I, I don't see a coincidence to it, but nevertheless, um, the governor knows he can't be sued at this point. He knows, um, you know, via his legal team that the way that the mandate was written, that this really, it's not even enforceable. Um, there's nothing he can really do about it. Um, what makes it enforceable is that we, the people, comply. Um, the reason we comply, I firmly believe, is because the media just keeps on and on and on and on and on with it. Um, and I just, you know, for us to lose the right to representative government is very dangerous for us as a society. And I think it would do us all well if we would return the favor and refuse to comply with this. If we would openly refuse to comply, it nullifies the governor's mandate. He can't enforce it. We're obeying a non-law, and I just want to submit to particularly uh, Jesus followers out there that the idea that perhaps, you know, could you could it be possible that we are aiding and abetting 
in a lie by wearing this mask. We're wearing something saying that a governor's mandate is law when it's not law. We're asserting that there is a crisis when there is no crisis. I'm not saying there's not a disease, but this is a created crisis, um, and that, and we're kind of aiding and abetting in that. So just the idea of nullification by we the people, we have the power to do that. We have the power to take our state back from folks like Asa. It's obvious he has not the best interests of Arkansans in, in mind. That's not what he's about at this point. He's hey. former NSA, you know. Uh, he's he is what he is, and uh, I just think we would do well to to refuse to wear the things. So I'm that's, gonna, that's I'm my gonna, opinion. Just okay, well, it's a good opinion, Billy. I'm going to tell you. Make sure you listen to the seven o'clock hour of my show tomorrow. Uh, there's some real big breaking news that you're not going to hear anywhere else except on my show. We'll break it on the air seven o'clock tomorrow. Make sure you're here. Okay. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. And remember what the Democrat response to a Billy is. If there's a President Biden, he says he's going to make it a federal mandate that everybody wears a mask. 14 minutes after 7 here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget about my good friends at PI Roofing. They'll take good, uh, good, you know, do good work on your roof. They did it on mine just a few weeks ago. Uh, took care of a leak that I had, and here's how it worked. I called them at 707 3551. Same no, same number I tell you to use 707 3551. And I talked to a, a sweet lady on the phone, and I said I need somebody to come out here and look in uh, my roof and and find the leak. And they said, sure, Dave, we'll, we'll make sure we take care of that. And they were out the next day. And they uh, walked my roof where I said the leak was coming from, and they found it. And then uh, they uh, talked to me. They stood on my front lawn. I stood in my doorway, and they talked to me. They were, I don't know, 18 feet from me. And uh, we just we talked to each other. They told me what needed to be done, and I told them, okay, do it. Uh, And then the people from uh, PI Roofing called me on the phone later in the afternoon to make sure that I understood all the uh, ins and outs, uh, cross the T's, dot at the I's, and I did that with them. Uh, They couldn't get out until Friday. It was supposed to rain on a Wednesday. They showed up on Tuesday. They put on... uh, some uh, uh, product that would hold the the leak for a few days so that it could rain if it did, and it, it just showered a little bit. It was nothing major. And uh, so they protected the inside of my house that way. And on Friday morning, uh, my phone, I was on doing my show, in fact, my phone dinged, and it was a, a text and it was the folks from PI Roofing saying, we're here. We're going to begin working on your uh, uh, your roof. And we brought Dexter in from the backyard because I don't think they need to have a, a little dog running around their, uh, their feet, although I think Dexter would have hidden. But anyway, uh, they came in through the back gate, and they did all the work they had to do. Uh, they fixed all the problems they had to fix, and then they left. 
They didn't have to shake my hand. They didn't have to talk to me in person. They kept all the social distancing guidelines and everything because they feel they're protecting their workers as well as protecting my family. And they did a superlative job. They were fantastic. PI Roofing to do that for you. All you got to do is call the same number I call, 707-3551, 707-3551, or visit them online, piroofing.com. Have you been reading the uh, stories about how a lot of the uh, Democrat caucuses, uh, you know, from across the United States, uh, they open up with the uh, Declaration of Independence However, they're leaving one nation under God out of it. That's really no surprise. And, you know, we've talked about this uh, on my show quite a bit. And that is, if you look at the platform for the Democrats, God's not even in it. Uh, that's not the case with the Republican platform. God is in it. Uh, Democrats make fun and they, uh, they, they throw barbs at us all the time when we tell people who have gone through hurricanes, tornadoes, uh, mass shootings, and all kinds of stuff that we're going to vote for or going to pray for them because they think that is a useless exercise. Uh, because uh, if you don't mention God, it probably means you really don't believe in God. So if you don't believe in God, why would you pray to him? Uh, we tend to, as uh, Republicans, uh, to believe in God, and we do pray uh, to our God and, and ask him uh, for guidance and ask him for mercy and ask him for his blessing upon our country. Uh, as I've said on uh, our state uh, you know, platform, it's the number one, uh, number one on the platform that uh, you know, we believe not only in God, but we believe in God Almighty. All right, and uh, not so Democrats. I'll, let's just be honest here. That's, that's the truth of the matter. You don't believe it, look it up. I'm not going to do your homework for you. You can do that homework. That's a real simple uh, Google search that you can do. Uh, I did learn something about the, uh, 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 the pledge that I didn't know. It was, it was written 23 years after the Civil War. That's what it came out. 23 years after the Civil War, when the country was still, still healing from that war. And people were at that point wanting to have something that they could say to show their belief in uh, uh, this country as one nation united. At that point, it did not have one nation under God in it. That came out uh, in the early 50s, late 40s. And the reason it was added to the pledge Historically now, okay, historically, it was added because we were differentiating ourselves completely from the Russians, from the communists. We wanted people to understand the communists did not believe in God and put no, you know, put no uh, uh, strength behind God. 
And they don't. They still today, Communist Party doesn't put nothing behind God. They don't believe it. Remember, Mark said, opiate of the masses. No, no God. So just just keep keep all this in, in mind as you think about these uh, two different parties. 31 words uh, is what the uh, uh, pledge is. It affirms your values and freedoms that the American flag represents all of these uh, values and freedoms as American uh, forming a more perfect union. That's what we're working towards. Doesn't mean that the flag flies over America and that we need to stop here now. It's not the case. It, uh, it flies to remind us that we can be better. And uh, it flies to, uh, to like, uh, draw us like, like moths to the flame of freedom to uh, hold uh, those rights that are self-evident as the and given to us by God and that our government and our country will protect those rights. So, uh, you know, it was uh, drawn on as a celebration of Columbus Day to center around the flag. It was included with a script for ceremonies that would culminate in raising of the flag. And so the pledge was said. It was in October of 1892 on Columbus Day programs that school children across the country first recited the Pledge of Allegiance, and it was this way. Pledge allegiance to my flag and to the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Now, controversy continues over whether the author was the chairman of the committee that brought that uh, to fruition or not. Uh, so keep that in mind. The words my flag were replaced by the flag of the United States in 1923 because some foreign born people might have in mind the flag of the country of their birth instead of the U.S. flag. Uh, a year later of America was added after United States. No form of the pledge received official recognition by Congress until June 22, 1942, when it was formally included in the U.S. flag code. The official name of the Pledge of Allegiance was adopted in 1945. The last change in language came on Flag Day 1954, when Congress passed a law which added the words, Under God, After One Nation. Originally, the pledge was said with hand in the so-called Bellamy salute, with the hand resting first outward from the chest, then the arm extending out from the body. Uh, once Hitler came to power in Europe, some Americans were concerned that this position of the arm and hand resembled the salute rendered by the Nazis. So in 42, Congress established the current practice of rendering the pledge with the right hand placed flat over the heart. Section 7 of the Federal Flag Code states that when not in military uniform, men should remove any headdress with their right hand and hold it at the left shoulder, therefore resting the hand over the heart. People in the military uniform should remain silent, face the flag, and render a military salute. The flag code specifies that any future changes to the pledge would have to be with the consent of the president. The Pledge of Allegiance now reads, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, 
one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Is there liberty and justice for all? Of course not. We're not perfect. Are we moving that way? I think we try. I think we do. Sometimes faster than others. But I believe that we move towards liberty and justice for all. If you're an anti-Semite, if you're a racist, uh, I can go on and on. If you are, if you are, uh, then you don't believe in the Pledge of Allegiance. You don't believe in liberty and justice for all. And that's what the Declaration of Independence stands for. Liberty and justice for all. And may one day, one day, when Jesus comes back, we'll see that happen. Because that's the only time it's going to happen. Just when he returns. You can't make utopia on earth. You may be trying, but uh, and we'll all we'll all move that way. But that's just the way it is. Here's Rush. All right, 25 minutes until 8 o'clock. Paris Denard is joining us from the RNC. One of my favorite guys. I love this guy. He comes on. He is so articulate and clear in what he says. You know, there, there are certain people that I really, really like. Uh, because they're able to speak to us and you can understand what they're saying, you know, clearly and cleanly. There's Ben Shapiro, there's Paris Denard, uh, there's uh, Liz Harrington and a few others. They're just, they're just really, really good. Paris, you fit into that category. Thanks for joining us here today on the Dave Ellswick Show. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for the kind words. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Well, you're great, man. You really are. You're really good. So let's talk about the DNC uh, and their convention. I got to tell you, uh, I just read an article that said viewership uh, for the uh, DNC, and I understand that it's a virtual convention, but their viewership is down 48 percent from 2016. Uh, they had 6.1 million viewers last night, which means in 2016 they had nearly 13 million viewers. That's not good. Well, I'm not surprised because when you look at the ticket, it's not an inspiring ticket. Joe Biden is not an inspiring candidate. There's nothing about his plans for the future that will make Americans excited or enthusiastic about having their taxes raised or having open borders or uh, supporting things like a full-term abortion or, or, or this candidate wants to get rid of charter schools. These are not things that make people excited, especially parents. And so when you look at this convention that they've been putting on, there's nothing to be worth it's not worth tuning into because when you watch it if you if they are tuning in it's depressing it literally is depressing and it's not giving people the optimism or the hope that they want because if he has a plan for the future he should be giving that plan for the future that is positive 
But he can't even point to the things in the past that he's done because the things in the past that he's done have been bad for the black community, bad for America, the trade deals that he supported, pushing China to the WTO, which led to a lot of manufacturing jobs leaving. When you look at this convention, you have viewership going down and down and down because the American people are turned off by the phoniness of Kamala Harris and the lack of, of leadership and policy that's going to benefit the American people and Joe Biden. Did you have you happened to see? I, I don't know who the preacher is. Uh, they've got a a video going out, and and I love this because I went to seminary. And one of the great things that I've always said about black preachers is they preach with unction, and it's fun to watch black preachers preach. They're totally different than than white preachers, and I'm uh, I'm I'm stirred by them many many times. This uh, black preacher that's preaching about Kamala Harris. Have you seen that? I have, and, and I think that what you're going to see is more uh, people like, like the preacher speaking out passionately because at the end of the day, people want the facts and the truth. Hypocrisy has to go. The phoniness has to go. We can see through it. And you're going to have people of faith speaking out because that's what you, that's what you do when you're morally convicted. You can't let your pe- like the sheep be led to the slaughter. That's what the Bible says. And I think a lot of people, especially in the faith community, see what this radical Democrat Party has become and see what they're trying to do that's not going to benefit and help the least of these. And so I'm glad we have videos like that. I'm glad we have videos like Kim Classic out of Maryland highlighting failed Democratic policies. But it's not just Democratic policies of the past. That's the radical Democrat policies of the present, of Joe Biden. Of of Kamala Harris, of Speaker Nancy Pelosi, of AOC, and the rest of the squad. That is your Democrat Party. All right. You brought up a name, and we got to talk about it. Kimberly Klasick, I'm going to tell you what. She lit the Internet on fire with that ad that she put together. She's running for Congress in Baltimore, and uh, she, she says, here's the ad that the Democrats don't want you to see, and she just walks through Baltimore. Yeah, take a look. 50 Mm -hmm. years of uh, Democratic uh, control. This is what they've given you. Is this what you want? You know, uh, it's got to the point where uh, she says Democratic Party has to understand you can't count that uh, black voters are just going to vote for you. It's just not going to happen that way anymore. It's one of the most inspiring ads I've ever seen. I thought it was fantastic. And I guess she's she's speaking next week uh, during the Republican convention. uh, convention. Answer me this, uh, if, if you know, Paris. Are we going to have more live speeches than canned speeches? These canned speeches just don't work, I believe. I mean, you can watch that on Facebook. You, you want to have, uh, you know, the ability, if you want to go off uh, script a little bit, to go off script a little bit. Yeah, I was uh, talking with Laura Trump last night, and she was previewing some of the things that are going to be in our Republican National Convention, and she said there is going to be a stark contrast between the messages, the tone, the energy between the two conventions. And so uh, one thing we know about President Trump and his style is that he likes to put on quality 
uh, productions, uh, visual productions that appeal to people. But he also likes to make sure that the messaging to the American people is sound, is true, is direct. And so this is a president, this is a campaign that understands what it takes to get things done for the American people and how to message in an, in an, in an inviting way, in an inclusive way, in an exciting and optimistic and empowering way. So I'm, I'm looking forward to our convention, and I know it's going to be a lot different and a lot more uh, inspiration uh, that we'll see on the TV screen. Yeah, I can't wait. I really can't. I just cannot wait. I mean, as I watch the DNC and when they start talking policy, my God, it's like, uh, you know, I love my parents, but my dad was one of those lecturers at times, you know, and <laughs> and you had to sit, sit down across from him and say, well, son, here's how it is. And that's the way the DNC has been doing their policy. Hey, I'm going to hector you now for the next five minutes on gun control. I mean, it's not it's not con- conversing with you. It's point, you know, shaking the finger at you. Don't you don't you feel that way, Paris? Yes, it's because they have they feel that the federal government has to control every aspect of your life, control how you think, control how you spend your money, control where you spend your money, tax you when you're born, tax you while you live, tax you on what you earn, and tax you when you die. And we're going to tell you every step of the way and control you every step of the way. And so we're going to lecture you and tell you how to be a citizen, how to be a parent, how to be a teacher, how to be a a father, how to be a mother. That's not what we need. This is a land of opportunity, freedom, and liberty. And we should trust the American people to make the best decisions and give them the freedom and opportunity to do so and not lecture us on how you think, based upon your own failed policies that we've seen the Democrats, how we should vote and think and do. All right. Last question. Last question for you, Paris. Do you think the Democrats get much of a bump out of this convention? I, I, you know what? It it, it is common that you get a bump out of convention. Yes, that's standard on both sides. I don't see how they get a significant bump out of this convention because the speeches are dull, the message is dull, it's not inspiring, and it's nothing new. It's nothing refreshing. It's nothing that, that, that is going to get people to say, you know what, I am excited about this ticket. I'm coming on board. You're not getting it out of this convention. So I, I think for the first time you're not going to see a significant bump on the Democrat side because their convention is not providing that for the American voters. Well, i got to tell you what. Joe Biden's speech tonight better had the depth of the Sermon on the Mount and the uh, <laughs> the ability of emotional uh, connection of Martin Luther King. Because if he doesn't, uh, this 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 whole uh, election is going to to change drastically over the next uh, two weeks, especially after Republicans get done with their convention. Paris, thanks for being with us. Always a pleasure. I'll let you get on to the other interviews that you got. But you are, you're, one, you're in one of my pantheon of clear thinkers. Well, I appreciate you, and I think that the American people and your listeners are doing, getting a great service because of what you're doing by providing the facts and the real news to your, your listeners. So thank you. All right, Paris. Talk to you later. Paris Denard from the RNC here on the Dave Ellswick Show. When we come back, the governor is bound and determined to get hate crime legislation in the next uh, session, the general session coming up in January. He and the AG spoke about it uh, yesterday from the Rotunda. We've got that for you. We'll play it for you when we come back on the Dave Ellswick Show. Back with you. We uh, we're down to about. Looks like about eight minutes here, I think. 
for the rest of uh, this hour. Uh, yesterday, the uh, governor held a presser in the rotunda to let everybody know, uh, I guess trying to say letting the secret out, it wasn't really a secret, uh, that the, uh, the governor's, uh, the executive, is uh, going to press hard here in the state for hate crime legislation. Now, let me just say up front, I'm against it, have been against it. I'm against it if a Democrat pushes it. I'm against it if a Republican pushes it. Uh, And I'll tell you why uh, in uh, my 6 o'clock hour later tonight. Uh, I'm going to have Sharice on from over to Family Council. They want to talk about it. Family Council's against it. I mean, you got to let me tell you what you better. You got to listen hard about this because I think it's a divisive piece of legislation and it's a mistake. So yesterday at the presser, the uh, governor talked about it and then the uh, uh, attorney general, Leslie Rutledge, talked about it. I want you to hear what they had to say. There's a little bit of an echo because they are in the rotunda, but here's the audio of that. And the urgency of this legislation is even greater today. Early this year, I was in Harrison, and I challenged the leadership of the city of Harrison to be a driving force for hate crime legislation in this state. And today we have Mayor Jerry Jackson of Harrison. Uh, We have uh, Bob Largent and Melissa Collins, Chairman Leadership of the Chamber of Commerce. We have Scott Tennyson, President of the Arvest Bank there in Harrison. Boone County Judge Robert Hathaway, uh, all uh, leaders of that community, and they are here today to say Harrison wants to be on the forefront of getting this legislation passed. Thank you. Why is this important? Because Arkansas needs to join the vast majority of states who have passed similar legislation. We need to say clearly that Arkansas will not tolerate violence against anyone because of their race, their religion, or because of who they are. We are at a point in our history that we must hold to a higher degree of accountability. Those who target individuals because of where they were born, how they worship, or how they choose to live. And now the Attorney General. I'm honored to be here today with Governor Hutchison and all of our legislative leaders in support of a much-needed and long-overdue piece of legislation addressing hate crimes. I know that many Arkansans, like myself, are people of faith, people who are taught that we are all created in the image of our Creator and that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. Last couple of years, I had the opportunity to walk the streets of Charleston, South Carolina, and to stand in front of that church where Dylan Roof committed heinous acts of violence against innocent people after he had sat and prayed with them. A place where Christian's blood was spilled across the floor of the sanctuary in a space dedicated to peace, worship, and fellowship. I was absolutely sickened by the thought of such evil occurring. And as the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. 
when unspeakable crimes are committed against people, like when Robert Bowers targeted the Tree of Life synagogue, killing 11, wounding six others, including a law enforcement officer responding to the shooting, or when George Floyd was killed simply because he was black, or a five-year-old Cannon Hennett died simply because he was white. We must take action. Action is long overdue. These crimes cannot be tolerated, and we must send a clear message. Enhanced crimes of evil will result in enhanced level of justice. We must send this clear message that we will not tolerate hate. I have long been a vocal proponent to strengthen our laws to criminalize hate crimes in our state. I was at the same sheriff's conference last year that Governor Hutchison spoke of and was asked about it. And I said unequivocally then and unequivocally now that I support hate crimes legislation in Arkansas. And again, to quote Dr. King, the time is always right to do what is right. And Arkansas, it is past time that we do what is right. And I will work with any legislators to accomplish this goal and work with any legislation to accomplish this goal. Hate crime legislation will allow our prosecutors, our judges, our juries, and most importantly, our communities to hold accountable criminals who victimize people based on their race, religion, and personal beliefs. Arkansas is only one of three states that has not adopted legislation addressing this issue. We can and must do better. I believe that this is a stain on our great state. And it's the wrong message about who we are as a people. This is not a Democratic issue, although I'm proud to stand with Democrats. This is not a Republican issue, although I'm proud to stand with them. This is an Arkansas issue. This is an American issue. This is a human issue. Now is not the time for civil unrest. Now is the time for civil discourse. We, as Arkansans, must stop fighting one another eye to eye and instead start working together, living together, and loving one another heart to heart. I stand here today as the granddaughter of a generation who faced America's darkest era, as the daughter of a generation who started the fight against injustice. But most importantly, I stand here today as a mom to a beautiful daughter who deserves to live in a state and a world free of hate. I applaud the members of the General Assembly for bringing forth this legislation, and I will do everything I can to ensure it is passed and that we send a clear message to the rest of the world that we will not tolerate hate in the natural state. Wow. Wow. Uh, where do I start? I mean, I could... Yeah, you're going to have to tune in at 6 o'clock because we're going to talk about this. But I, let me just say, when you hear the Arkansas uh, Attorney General use this term, enhanced justice, what in God's name is enhanced justice? There's either justice 
or no justice, just as there's either truth or no truth. There's no such thing as enhanced justice. If justice is the death penalty, there's no way you can do the death penalty in, the way, in a way that is going to enhance it. I don't get it. I don't get their whole philosophy here, their whole thought process. This is nothing but feel-good stuff. It's all it is. That's all it is. If a person kills a person because it's black, I don't think that there's anything difference there, any difference there than if they killed a person because uh, they wanted their wife. You know, because they wanted to marry uh, their wife or have them as their spouse. <coughs> What's the difference? There isn't a difference. And the governor, the only thing that he can say in this is, let's join with uh, the majority of other states, basically, and, and have this on, on, uh, on what we're doing, because, you know, perception is, is more important than reality. Well, I have to tell you, Governor, no, it's not. No, it's not. This is all about, you know, what the left always teaches is about feel-good legislation. And it, there's a big fight brewing, I'm just telling you. There is a big fight brewing, and it's coming in January. Uh Sharice uh, from uh, the Family Council will be with me at 6 o'clock here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm running out of time for my show here this morning. Be sure that you tune back in or at least go to the podcast and you listen to what we have to say because I think it's really important. Coming up tomorrow, uh, uh, in the first hour, we're going to talk about what's going on in the world of uh you know, social media and comics and things of that nature. Shane Stacks will join me. Uh, we'll be talking uh, to some uh, movers and shakers as well of the comic uh, industry. Talk to them uh, for an hour. Uh, and then uh, we're going to have Robert Steinbach and we're going to have uh, Chris on uh, to talk to us uh, with Dan Sullivan about breaking news. Do not miss the 7 o'clock hour. Huge breaking news here on the Dave Ellswick Show. You'll only get it here, so tune in tomorrow for sure at 7 o'clock. with you dave ellswick show six o'clock hour uh as you know in the last hour of my show this morning i played uh governor hutchinson and the attorney uh, general and their statements about hate crime legislation as the uh, governor wanted to uh 
Let everybody know that that's going to be evidently where he's going to spend a lot of political uh, capital coming up in January for the next uh, General Assembly. And uh, as I listen to the folks talking about this, for the life of me, I don't understand what they're saying. I mean, I'll take that back. I understand what they're saying, but it doesn't do anything. It's nothing but words. So it does nothing, to be honest with you. Uh, joining me, Sharice is from family, uh, the Family Council. That's important that you understand the Family Council stands against this piece of legislation because it's more than, uh, you know, uh, race. It's more than against uh, sexuality and all the rest. This can bleed over into areas that we don't want it to bleed over. This philosophy uh, that somehow uh, it matters why you killed somebody or why you did something uh, uh, despicable. Sharice, uh, I made the statement as we finished up this morning. Uh, the uh, attorney general said that enhanced criminality called for enhanced justice. Now, those aren't her exact words, but it's pretty close. And mm-hmm. the, the bottom line is there's no such thing as enhanced justice. There's either justice or there's not justice. Would you agree with that? Right. I, I would. Um, first of all, first of all, let me just say thank you for having me on this morning. I appreciate the opportunity to, to come on and speak um, for Family Council on this issue. This is a really important issue that we have been dealing with since 1993. Um, since 1993, Family Council has opposed um, hate crimes legislation. Uh, but let me also say, I appreciate Governor Hutchison. I appreciate our Attorney General Leslie Rutledge, um, our legislators, and all the people that are involved in working toward a solution for the serious issues we have in this country. Um, I appreciate the effort, but I have to agree with you that I don't believe this is the way to to come to a solution. I don't believe this is going to work um, to help protect people. Um, and as you stated earlier, for the first reason is there are several. Actually, we are Arkansas is only one of three states that does not have hate crimes legislation on the books. So that means there are. Um, 47 other states that do, and it has been proven and shown that it does not protect people. It doesn't work because it's not protecting people. Um, in different states where different hate crimes have happened, um, like in Minnesota, Texas, they already had hate crime legislation on the books, and it has not worked to protect people. No, it doesn't stop anything, because somebody who's going to murder is going to murder. As I said, what's What's the difference if you kill somebody because their color of their skin, their sexuality, uh, whether they paint their their house purple or, or whatever, or you because you covet your neighbor's wife, so you cover, you kill him so that you can marry his his wife. There's no difference in any of those. They're all evil and they're they're all murder. So the justice has to be directed towards the action, not why yes. the action occurred. Yes, and that's a, that's another reason why we oppose uh, hate crimes legislation is because it gets into thought policing. Um, you know, you have 
this that's one of the wonderful things about this country is that we don't come after people. We don't prosecute people because of their thoughts and their beliefs. You're allowed to think what you want. You're allowed to hate who you want. However, when it gets into what you do because of those thoughts and beliefs, that's where the law comes in. And that's where you can be prosecuted for murder if you murder someone yeah. uh, because of those thoughts. But it has to cross over into what have you actually done. And I think it's a dangerous place for us to get into thought policing and and um, enhancing things because of someone's thoughts and beliefs. We have to work with what has the person actually done. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Sharice, I think I know that you're going to agree with me because you and I are on the same page on this. And by the way, I want everybody to understand: don't hate Governor Hutchinson. Uh, I think he's misguided on this. I don't hate uh, Attorney General Leslie Rutledge. You used to play golf with her, but I think she's misguided on this as well. Right. Uh, it, it's not going to. It doesn't solve anything. I mean, it solves nothing as far as I'm concerned. I don't know. Maybe it makes some people feel good. doesn't make me feel any better knowing that, hey, if you kill a, a black person, uh, if death is by hanging, we're going to tie your feet together also. You know, I mean, I, I'm, mm-hmm. just, you know, I'm just making, you know, statements now to say enhance justice. I mean. Are we going to make the drop for the the hanging to be longer, or are we going to make the drug last longer as it kills you if it's by lethal injection? Is that what they mean by enhanced justice? I don't know, but I do know this. If you go across the border into Canada, where they do not have a First Amendment, by the way, they don't have a First mm-hmm. Amendment. We do. Uh, and so we protect it. Uh, and hold it very close to our hearts. Yeah. Here's what's happening in in uh, in Canada. Pastors in the pulpit have been brought up on uh, uh, hate crime legislation and told to stop preaching things because it's a hate crime. Uh, that could happen very well here in this country. In fact. Uh, we had it kind of slip into that in Houston a few years ago. You might remember this, Sharice. There was a pastor standing against the mayor of Houston who was a, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a lesbian, and they were they were preaching against uh, homosexuality, and uh, they she wanted copies of all of the, their uh, their sermons and wanted to right. bring they wanted to bring up. Uh, you know, some kind of, I guess, justice uh, against them for what they were saying. That's not America. Right. And I, I think you made a good point earlier is that, as, as I said, I think there are good intentions behind the hate crimes law um, legislation. However, I think what we're not looking at is the unintended the unintended consequences that can come as a result of hate crimes legislation. And as you just stated, um, our um, faith community can be, um, can be a, a, a casualty of this unintended consequence. Um, our pastors, um, like you said, our First Amendment, we ought to be able to um, 
make known what our religious beliefs are, and you ought to be able to do that and speak freely without fear of being um, accused of some sort of hate crime. And the, the one of the things that is up in the air about hate crimes legislation is we don't know how this will be used in the future. Yeah, um, it can be it can be used depending on the judge. Um, there's so many different cases where I think there was a case of a flag burning where yep. um, someone was um, given an, an enhanced penalty of, I think, an additional five years because the flag that was burned was a gay flag. That's, um, that's correct. And that's all done at the hands of that particular judge. And so this is where uh, this this type of law can be used as a weapon against those in the faith community and against any type of person. It just depends on who's wielding it. Yeah, and I, that's something we don't want to do. Yeah, I think that that's something that everybody has to come to grips with. It depends on who's in power. It really, really yeah. is. Uh, it could look. It can be uh, somebody can come in and be a, a complete uh, Marxist. And suddenly they want to use this legislation to uh, shut up somebody from the right. Uh, it could be somebody who's a totalitarian uh, dictator or that would get into office and they want to shut the other side up. And so they use this to shut the other side up. I'm going to tell you right now, enhanced justice is not what I worry about. It's enhanced legislation that worries me. That's that can do damage and you know, if we mm-hmm. if we give if we give the camel the ability to get his nose under the edge of the tent, pretty soon you're sleeping with a camel. Right, and and that's I think that's where the line of delineation is, is that I don't believe we we don't believe we need necessarily more legislation. Let's enforce what's already on the books fairly and justly. If if a person who murders a white man is prosecuted and justly and equally prosecuted as a person who murders a black man, then that is taken care of. It's all yeah. about being safe. Or, or murdered a lesbian or a, a gay guy or, or right. whatever reason. The reasoning is not what is important. What's that? That has to be changed in other ways. You can't change it on the gallows, so to speak. Right, and we already have the ability to enhance crimes on the, the you know, determining the situation. Um, that is already left in the hands of a judge and jury. So, if we would, you know, just enforce the laws that we have fairly and equally, I think we could go a long way towards equality here in, in America. Well, we've had that conversation, haven't we? Yes, we have. <laughs> <laughs> we've had that that conversation. We'll have it again in the near future. I'll get Iverson and you back on and we'll have that conversation again because you're right. It, it all it's it's more about the heart than it is about legislation. I'm just I'm just being honest with everybody right now. I'm speaking just as 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 Dave right now. It's about the heart. If you want to change this stuff, uh, we got to change people from hating other people, and that is a big, big, big do. I'm just saying. 
It really is. It is. All right, quarter after eight here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, I said after eight. That's when we're recording this. Sorry, Heidi. I forgot. <laughs> so the bottom line is uh, we're going to take a break here. Uh, and, uh, I'll, you know, I and then Sharice are going to be back. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, hate crime legislation. And, hi, uh, Sharice, I'd like you to talk about what, uh, if it's been around since the late 90s and has been def- defeated, uh, evidently, there's ways of defeating this stuff. Maybe you can give us some ideas about uh, what we should do as citizens to make sure this doesn't become uh, law. So we'll come back and talk mm-hmm. about that here on uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. Stay tuned. More coming your way. One more segment with Sharice from over at the uh, uh, Family Life Council. We're talking about hate crime legislation. The governor kind of throwing out the gauntlet yesterday in the rotunda. He's doing what he does as governor. I mean, when you're governor, you got the bully pulpit. So he says that this, he thinks this is really, really, really important to the state of Arkansas. I don't believe it that way. I thought it was interesting. Uh, You said you read about it uh, in the paper, Sharice. I listened to the uh, the presser. We, We played it here on the station, and he made the statement, uh, he went to Harrison uh, and wanted Harrison to lead the way in passing hate crime legislation. Now, everybody's got to understand now why the governor would do that, because, you know, it's up in Harrison that every once in a while we still see the billboards that uh, mm-hmm. promote white supremacy. And so, uh, you know, he's he's saying, see, we're uh, you know, we're doing that. Well, I. I I forget how many years ago it was that they had a, a funeral for uh, the, the the death of racism in Harrison, and they buried it supposedly, you know, you know figuratively. And I know, mm-hmm. like Joe Booker, friend of mine, was up there with it. Uh, it's not all gone. It's just not all gone. Wow. I mean, those are nice. Those are nice, illustrative ways of uh, of showing what you're trying to do, but you got to change people's hearts. And uh, there's right. still people's hearts that haven't changed up in, in Harrison. So he's using them for a photo op, which is a, a bottom line. I don't like that. But, yeah, they had the, the Republican uh, uh, Republican leadership was there yesterday and all the rest. All right, so you told us in the last segment that this legislation has raised its head since the 90s, so 20-odd years. And it's been defeated every time. What has defeated it every time? Well, um, I would say it's it's the people. It's the, vo- it's the voice of the people. Um, as as citizens, we have a right to um, speak with our legislators, um, vote, um, pe- put people in office who represent our um, beliefs and our um, morals. And um, and we also have a right to to speak our minds and let people know that that's not something that we want in Arkansas. And I can say for Family Council that that's something that we've done consistently since 1993 is to activate um, our citizens and um, to actively um, work against this type of legislation. We actually have a rapid response team um, where we um, will activate citizens all across Arkansas. We have, we're working to get um, 
citizens in every single House district who can call, uh, email, or text their legislator and tell them, do not vote for this legislation. I do not agree with this legislation. So if you would like to be a part of that rapid response team, you can email us at info at familycouncil.org, or you can email actually myself, Sharice, at familycouncil.org, and we will put you on that rapid response team. We also have information that's available. Um, we believe that education is one of the best weapons against anything. Um, the more you know, the more that you you can speak up and you can be a part of this fight. So we have policy briefs. We have Q&As that will let you know all about the hate crimes legislation, the history of it, and why we oppose it and why we believe um, that it just does not work. And you can get that as well through our email, um, and we can get that information to you as well. All right. I want to go back. Uh, you were rem- uh, reminding us about a man who... Uh, was he was given 15 years in prison, by the way, uh, yes. for burning, stealing and burning a church's rainbow LGBT uh, pride flag. Aldolfo Martinez did not actually hurt or assault anybody in the process of stealing the flag off the front of the United Church of Christ in Ames, Iowa, and burning it in front of a bar he had been kicked out of last June. Though the 30-year-old did threaten to burn the bar down. And uh, in an interview with Des Moines CBS affiliate KCCI, he even confessed to the crime, making it clear that it was motivated by disapproval of LGBT people. So Martinez faced not just arson and harassment charges, but a hate crime enhancement. Uh, on the law, uh, which pushes the potential sentence higher. It put him at a potential maximum sentence uh, of five years for just the arson. Martinez also had two prior felonies, meaning he qualified as a habitual offender. Uh, Reports of Martinez's sentencing do not, unfortunately, explain what those convictions were for. Uh, Bottom line is, he confessed to the crime on camera, camera. He pleaded not guilty, took the case to trial where a jury convicted him. That pleased the church's pastor who told the Des Moines Register, I often experienced Ames as not being as progressive as many people believe it is, and there still is a very large closeted queer community here, but 12 people that I don't know who have no investment in me or this congregation said this man committed a crime, and it was a crime born of bigotry and hatred. And so uh, he ended up going to jail for 15 years. Uh, Another person who burned an American flag didn't serve any jail time. I'm, ju- I'm just saying, the, the, I'm not saying that uh, either one should have served right. time for burning a flag. That's my key on this whole thing, and that this guy is a bad actor, number one, all the t- it seems like as uh, a problem. However, uh, do we enhance the pe- penalty because you burn an LGBT flag right. and you get an extra five years in prison when you wouldn't get that if you burn the American flag. Right. That's that's the issue, is the enhanced penalties. Yeah, well, I mean... Because it's, it, because it's decided to be a hate crime. 
Yeah, I mean, I I think the guy's got some mental issues, to be honestly. But, uh, you know, I, I think that we all can look and, and see uh, where this can lead. Our, you know, can we expect this kind of stuff to happen uh, here in, uh, in Arkansas? Right now, evidently, it can't. Uh, but depending on the wording, the verbiage, the way that this uh, particular piece of legislation is written, uh, we could we could have a problem. All right, let's get a break. We'll do that right now here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let's continue. I want to talk just a little bit more about the hate crimes legislation because we'll have a lot of time to talk about it. I mean, it's going to come up during the, uh, the General Assembly, and that starts, I think, in the third week of January. So that's not that far down the road, but... Uh, this is I think that the, the governor has a real battle on his hands uh, to get this passed and get it into law. Don't just assume because you got, you know, uh, uh, you know, a majority of Republican senators and a majority of Republican uh, uh, House members that this is going to fly through. Uh, the House and the Senate, because I just don't think it's going to. Sharice uh, uh, from Family Council still with us. I wanted to hold her just for a few more moments. Again, uh, this piece of legislation has been written differently over the last 20-odd years, but it's been defeated mm-hmm. each time it's raised its head. You all have been, uh, you know, responsible in part for that uh, defeat. Uh you talked a little bit about how we get people involved in this and uh, where should people go to talk to you all to know how to uh, get out and to uh, fight against uh, this, 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 uh, this uh, proposed legislation. I appreciate that, uh, Dave. Yes, we have fought this since 1993. Family Council has been opposed to to hate crimes legislation like this since 1993. And uh, we've been successful as part of that um, that stance against it. And um, one of the ways we do that is through education. Uh, We have a policy brief. We have a and a We have all sorts of information that give you the history of hate crimes legislation here in Arkansas. And um, and answers, you know, some some questions that people have about it. Uh, we have that information available, and you can get that by reaching out to us at family um, uh, info at familycouncil.org. You can go to our website familycouncil.org. Um, we also are doing this new project. Erin um, Hogan, who's in our office, is leading the way on creating our rapid response team. And this is a group of Arkansas citizens from all across the state. And we want to have at least a few members from every House district that will be able to answer the call when the button is hit um, at Family Council. So when we make the call, uh, we want you to be able to reach out to your local legislators, your senator and your representative, and give them uh, a call, text, or email, and let them know your feelings and your thoughts about upcoming legislation or an issue that comes up like this, the hate crimes legislation. So if you'd like to be a part of our rapid response team, you can give us um, a call at the office, 375-7000, and just say, uh, sign me up for the rapid response team. You can also email us at info at org, or you can email 
Sharice, C-H-A-R-I-S-S-E, at familycouncil.org as well. Well, bottom we'd line like is, to be a part of that team. if you want to continue to defeat this legislation, you have to be involved. There's two things you can yes. do. Well, three things you can do, but two of them are the same. One is you can actively campaign to defeat the legislation, or you can actively campaign to see the legislation passed, or you can do nothing and uh, help the legislation pass. I mean, that's... That's the way it is. So get active to defeat this legislation before it really flies off the ground. Let the governor know, because uh, they'll be doing polling. Let them know by uh, watching the polling that it's got a real tough uh, fight uh, in in the, uh, the state house and the Senate. Thanks a lot, Cherise, for being with you, being with us. It's always a pleasure for you to join us always here on the Dave Also Show. Okay, have a great one. Thanks Listen, for having me. Talk, sure thing. talk to you later. Hey, Cal Thomas had a great opinion pl- uh, piece today uh, in uh, the uh, uh, Fox News. Let me just go into uh, this a little bit because uh, it's something that I really hadn't thought about. But uh, there's a legitimacy in what he says. He says, in a new book about her grandfather, Dwight D. Eisenhower, titled How Ike Led, The Principles Behind Eisenhower's Biggest Decision, Susan Eisenhower writes admirably about Ike's pursuit of what she calls, quote, the middle way. In a decision that still infects elements of the Republican Party today, Susan Eisenhower says Ike's pursuit of compromise and centrism led to his decision to nominate Democrats as well as Republicans to the Supreme Court. She quotes uh, Ike's attorney general, uh, Herbert uh, Brownell, to this, quote, the president believed and acted upon the belief that the Supreme Court's membership should represent divergent ideological points of view. She says he believed this approach would foster public confidence in the court. I could not have foreseen future battles over all federal courts and how his successors would mostly nominate judges who fit Ideological views of the Constitution, Roe v. Wade being the most egregious of many such examples. Our 34th president gave the Supreme Court two of its most liberal members, Justice William Brennan and Earl Warren. Ike would later come to lament those appointments, saying, quote, I made two mistakes and both of them sit on the Supreme Court, unquote. Ike had success with the middle way as Supreme Allied Commander during World War II. Now, I'm going to say not really, not really. Thousands of men's lives uh, were lost in World War II uh, because of one particular operation, Operation Market Garden. If you don't know what I'm talking about, do your history, all right? But uh, General... Um, Montgomery, the British general, uh, was a firm believer that the way to defeat the Third Reich was to strike from the north through the Netherlands and into the motherland, Germany, and defeat uh, the the Germans. Uh, Patton, on the other hand, wanted uh, uh, Eisenhower to give uh, him and uh, the other generals, the gas and the, the necessary resources 
to strike uh, from the plains and come across the Rhine and defeat Germany that way. Well, which way were the Germans most concerned about? Well, when you read about Market Garden, here's what you find out. The Germans were terrified of Patton because Patton believed in, you know, winning at uh, necessarily, the way they put it, all costs. So what they did is they took their panzer divisions, their best tanks, and they moved them from down where uh, uh, Patton was. They moved some of them, not all of them, some of them, because they didn't want to lose all of them because they thought Patton would completely destroy the panzers. And where did they move them to? They moved them north up into the Netherlands. And so you've got the Market Garden uh, uh, operation, which the movie A Bridge Too Far is is uh, based on. And I think it was the bridge at Margen that, that uh, going over the river there uh, that uh, we were supposed to protect so that our troops could go continuing on to Germany. And it got blown up and it didn't. And... Uh, you know, the, there's only one road coming down this way. Now, I want you to think about it. If there's no other roads to get to uh, uh, Little Rock from the north, except for 67, 167, if you had an army coming down that road, what would you do? Well, you'd put your, you'd, you'd, you'd make it so they couldn't get down that road. You'd set every booby trap and every kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, way of attacking them along that road, and that's exactly what Third Reich did. And we lost thousands of men. The British lost thousands of men. Uh, the Allied command lost tens of thousands of people because we landed right in the middle of the Panzers. And uh, they chewed us up something terrible. It was an unmitigated disaster, and luckily it didn't cost us the war. It probably cost us an extra several months of war, uh, but luckily it didn't, it didn't cost the whole, idea, the whole campaign. The reason Eisenhower went with, with uh, Montgomery was a political reason of centrism. He didn't want to piss off the British. British have already gotten pissed off by FDR uh, because they had been uh, pushed into a secondary role. Uh, they were not treated as, quote, uh, the British Empire uh, by FDR. FDR knew it was time for America uh, to, to move forward. So, yeah, do some history. And I, I don't like centrism when you know that you have the right thing to do. You do the right thing. You don't compromise because you don't want to just, you know, piss off the other side. So that's the purpose of politics is to win and to de demonstrate your party's ideas and policies are superior to those of the other party. If politics is only about being liked and praised, especially by one's ideological adversaries, the party that adopts such a philosophy is doomed to perpetual defeat and to not have its positions, if it has them, taken seriously. Remember that when we talk about, uh, you know, uh, the Republican Party. 
It's time to stand by our principles and push forward. And that's what President Trump has been trying to do. But this whole thought of centrism still infects the Republican Party today. Democrats have been known since the Great Depression as the party of government, luring more and more voters by dispensing free stuff and promising uh, to take care of them. Government has replaced individual responsibility and accountability. We now subsidize bad individual decisions and failures and penalize those who have succeeded by playing by what used to be called the rules. And I'll finish up talking about this when we come back. Got to get it, got to get our last break in. Let's do that. It's the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. I've been talking about a Cal Thomas opinion piece that appeared in Fox News today that's really good. I, uh, I'll make sure that Elizabeth posts it on my Facebook page. You need to read it because there's a lot of truth in it because he's talking about, you know, Eisenhower. Eisenhower uh, was a loved president in the 50s. Uh, he was just finishing up as uh, as I was born uh, here into the great United States that we live in. And he was one of those real big believers in centrism. And she, ta- she, they, they, she talked about how that helped during the war. No, it didn't. Uh, it almost lost the war for us. And I, I was talking, as if you were with me in the last segment, about uh, Operation Market Garden was a huge offensive campaign that was taken underway uh, because uh, the president did not want to rock the boat with the British uh, politically uh, by uh, turning down Montgomery, their great general. And he was a great general. I mean, let's face it, he did great things over in North Africa. But this was not... This was not uh, a well-thought-out operation. Almost cost us the war. I'm, I'm trying to... Th- I can't remember the man who wrote, wrote The Longest Day, but he wrote a, a book about Operation Market Garden. If you're history buff like I am, you should read the book. It's a great book. If you want history light, <laughs> you know, you, you get your history from movies, then watch A Bridge Too Far. So they're talking about this centrism, and let me go back and remind you that what uh, uh, Cal Thomas says is Democrats have been known since the Great Depression as a party of government, luring more and more voters by dispensing free stuff and promising to take care of people. Government has replaced individual responsibility and accountability. We now subsidize bad individual decisions and failure and penalize those who have succeeded by playing by what used to be called the rules. So let's let's move on with this uh, discussion. For many, government has become an addiction with Democrats serving as dealers. I mean, it's like a drug. It's like the guy who stands out on the street corner and sees you come by and says, hey, you want to try a sample? Make you feel good. Uh, We've seen that happen some now during this pandemic. A lot of people got checks. They like those checks. Give me more checks. I'm just telling you. Republicans have had only marginal success in countering this because they don't seem to be able to come up with a set of unified policies and goals. Instead, the GOP has become like a protein shake that dieters drink 
because it contains fewer calories but more protein. In too many cases, Republican positions resemble Democrat light. Now, I've talked about this in the past. Just in a segment in the last hour of my show today, we talked about Rand Paul talking about Democrat light policies to keep the Postal Service afloat. They've lost $78 billion, and now they're talking about, you know, shoving another 10 to $20 billion. And he said, you might as well just pile that up in your front yard and light it on fire. And, uh, and he's right. And he said in that article, I don't want to vote on Democrat light. Let's stand up for our principles. Susan Eisenhower quotes from a letter that Ike wrote to a California friend in 54. Quote, I developed a practice which so far as I know I have never violated. The practice is to avoid public mention of any name unless it can be done with favorable intent and connotation. Reserve all criticism for the private conference. Speak only good in public. Now in this, let's be honest, Ike demonstrated his great character. But what that didn't stop, it didn't stop the Democrats from criticizing him about everything from the rounds of golf he played to allegations by Harry Truman and others that he was in the pocket of reactionaries, which translated into today's parlance means extreme right-wingers. You know, there's a cliche about sports. They say it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. No, that's not true. That's not true. Ask anybody who is plays on, on the field of battle, whether it's in, in baseball or football or hockey or badminton or whatever. It's always better to win than lose. You know? It's like uh, Lombardi said, winning isn't the, on, uh, isn't, uh, uh, the only thing. It, yeah, I forget exactly how it goes. It's not the only thing. It's the only You know, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. There we go. I got it right. Because uh, it does matter whether you win or lose. In politics, it's about winning, and if you don't win, how you play the game doesn't matter. Texas politician Jim Hightower wrote a book titled, There's Nothing in the Middle of the Road But Yellow Stripes and Dead Armadillos. Wow, that party said it. Uh, Modern Republicans might learn from a Texas liberal. Again, that's the title of of a book that he wrote. He's dead now, Jim Hightower. But he wrote a book that was titled, There's Nothing in the Middle of the Road But Yellow Stripes and Dead Armadillos. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind as we fight for what's right of what the Republican Party stands for. It's not going into something and saying we're going to have to compromise to get this. We should go into it and say we got to do it. Now, we might have to compromise. There might be a little give and take. I'm just saying when you first start off, you don't start off by saying you're going to compromise. Uh, you, 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 you just don't. You just don't do that. That's not the way that uh, you play a, any game or uh, do politics. You don't do that. All right. Uh, jobless claims are up a little bit. Let you know that in the news uh, as well. Uh, Michael Keaton. Uh, the first one of the first real Batmans 
uh, has asked Trump to resign, saying that it would be very patriotic. Uh, and uh, the, Por- the Portland uh, protest, uh, the press, because uh, they showed pictures of uh, the protest uh, to protesters throwing police, uh, throwing objects at police. Uh, what can I tell you? Unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, now, uh, Wallace last uh, last night compared the Harris DNC speech to her own campaign that quote flamed out, and he's right. It was it was flat. It offered nothing, and it was ridiculous. So, enjoy the uh, DNC tonight. Tomorrow, in the first hour of the Dave Ellswick Show, uh, Friday, we try to get into things besides just politics. Uh, bottom line, uh, we're excited that uh, we're going to have uh, Shane Stacks back on with us. That'll be uh, fun. And, uh, as well, uh, the man who, who did uh, uh, several... Big Comics is going to be with us as well. Uh, Second hour, big news coming from Dan Sullivan up in uh, Jonesboro. Uh, He's uh, the Senate elector up there. And uh, Robert Steinbach will be on along with Chris Townsend. We'll finish up tomorrow's show with Matt uh, Smith. All that's coming your way tomorrow. Have a great day. I need to get out of here. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. Hope your day is good. And uh, we'll get back together 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. 